0: Welcome to Kick Arts with Emma and Stephen, Auckland's comprehensive art show brought to you on Planet FM 104.6 and streaming live around the globe thanks to our podcasts, which you can download from planetaudio.org.nz. This show was pre recorded during Auckland's Level 3 lockdown last Thursday, as we were unsure whether the studio will open for guests in time for Sunday. So just be aware that some things may have changed since we interviewed the participants. Now, to start our show, we felt, since we were all back at home and enjoying time there, we would kick off with the song Home by a guest from just a few weeks ago, Yasmin. No
1: way to don't go.
2: Crazy week
0: Stephen. It has. Where were you the other night when we got the information that suddenly we were heading into lockdown again?
2: So I had actually just finished well was just on finishing a tech run for Expect the Unexpected which of course we've been advertising the last couple of weeks which was meant to open on Thursday night this week and we were in our second to last song And the vice president walked along the aisle where I was taking notes and just said, Jacinda's gone live for community cases. And I just kind of was like, and then he walked away. And then about five minutes later, they just started the BOWS finale number. And I got a text from a friend who was in the show, but not at rehearsal, saying, I'm so sorry. And I was like, mm. what? And he said, we're going into lockdown at midday tomorrow. So as soon as the song finished, I had the pleasure, if not, of sitting the cast down and telling them that the show had, was going to be not opening.
0: No, just devastating and so close to opening. And, I mean, Lot's told that story back in, in March. Uh, so what's the plans? Will you postpone, postpone and come back or are you just waiting to see where it heads? Yeah.
2: At the moment, I mean, there's nothing we can decide until we actually know no. what the story is. So we're lucky because because of the nature of our show, being a cabaret show with um, opera rights as such rather than book rights, um, right. we can pretty much mount at any time dependent on the availability of the theater and the cast um, unlike some of the shows who have been are having to postpone where they have to reapply to rights holders to see if they're allowed to do it at certain time mm. you know so I would like to think that our plan is that we will remount um, but I suppose we just don't know yet whether that's two weeks away three weeks away four weeks away Um mm. Yeah. And, and
0: perhaps when this broadcast has actually gone out, everyone knows and we'll be listening thinking, what are they talking about? Haven't they read the Herald?
2: Exactly. <laughs> and I think too, um, there's a lot of schools that have been working towards assessments that have been put on hold again. Yeah. I, I am really feeling for our Auckland NCA students at the moment who, um, the the girl in the supermarket who served me today is at a local high school and knows me because I relieve there and her she said that they were meant to have been doing their level three assessment on Wednesday during the day. And that's been put on hold until question mark again. So, you know, it's that whole for everyone. And within, um, Auckland alone, the amount of shows that were about to happen, Takapuna Grammar was meant to be having ghosts this weekend. Center stage theater company had their Elton John review opening this weekend. Um, and so many other ones as well. And then, of oh, course, people like you who are in rehearsal for Chess. Well, is it two weeks away, three weeks away?
0: Two, two weeks away, less than that, yeah. And, and really tough because, um, you know, this is we postponed it earlier in the year, got it going again, and now we're so close. Um, but we'll, we'll create some way of performing something. Um, we'll just wait and see what the decisions are as, as to how and when that might, might look. Something, something has to come out from all the hard work that they've done. You know, even if it's live streamed, but we'll have to do something. So, a few we people
2: see. did that to us as well. Maybe we could, because at the moment, this, with even, you know, if we went into level two, we could be in the theatre and we could video numbers and, mm. you know, but no, it is, it's really hard. But at the same time, I'm glad that we didn't wait just in case because there's been oh. some fantastic theatre since yeah. we came out of the first lockdown until now. There has been some amazing theatre.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think it was you that posted it. I read something on Facebook around, you know, still celebrate the fact that you've been making theatre. We've been getting people together out of their homes, doing awesome stuff for several weeks. Yes, the ultimate end is the performance, but, but the journey is part of it as well. And hopefully there'll be some way for these groups to still perform.
2: Mm, it was beautiful for us. The the cast didn't want to go home. So for many they were there until ten, thirty, eleven singing songs. Um every now and then someone burst out crying, but we were all there as a family. Nice. And it was mm-hmm. really special. And it showed just how much of a family we had become in the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think this one was just the shock of it being so quick. There was no two or three day warning it's it's tomorrow, you know, and so there wasn't time to even catch your breath and go, oh, what could we do?
2: Mm, mm. But anyway,
0: hopefully when this has gone to air, there's some clarity and uh, next week's show, we'll give everyone an update on where we're at with our productions.
2: Definitely. So, who's first up, Stephen?
0: Well, we caught up with Peter Feeney. Well, we're now joined by Peter Feeney, who is well-known in the New Zealand acting scene but has just launched a new book, called Acting and How to Survive It. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining Kick Arts via Zoom.
3: Oh, this is awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Emma.
0: So, yeah. Acting and How to Survive It, I'd imagine this is quite a large book.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. I don't know why, but when you said that, originally we had an image of me playing Milo in Milo's Wake, and it's a poster image we we're going to put on the cover, but he's holding a big pint of Guinness, and we thought they probably sent a wrong message to people about how to survive acting. Yeah, <laughs> Hilarious. Um,
2: so, Peter, I mean, I think all oh, a lot of us actors do survive sometimes by having a quiet debrief afterwards.
3: Yeah, what was someone said that if they did drug testing for Oscars the way they do for the Olympics, they'd have to hand quite a lot of them back. There might be something in that.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So... Tell us the journey. What What's made you write this book and, and delve into this, this side of the world?
3: Yeah. Well, the, the real question is what kind of mad pig-headedness made me actually finish it because I think starting it was pretty easy. And it was kind of a – it's like in life you just keep walking forward and you just go – you just get led in different directions. But initially I suppose you could say – I'd always done handouts for my classes. And I got to a certain point where there's quite a lot of them and I thought, well, maybe if I put these end-to-end, I could actually, you know put them in a book but it wasn't that easy because I've been writing them for so many years and i had been learning and evolving the whole time so by the time I actually put them all together I had a lot of words but really what I had was an extremely shitty first draft and then it took three years from there part-time not full-time but but seriously part-time to go through and craft it and what I was guided by through it all was that I wanted to be useful for people coming into acting although there is good stuff there for any actor but I just thought, I really want this to be of use. I'm not going to pretend to be original. If someone else has had a good idea, it's going to end up here and I'm going to reference it. I'm not going to keep it out because I'm pretending to know everything. And I suppose by the end of it, I was thinking, I want the book that I wish that someone had given me or or, or the, the stuff that... I wish someone had told me when I started so I didn't have to make all of those incredibly stupid mistakes as I went through. So that was a motivator, yeah. But it was, look, I, mean, I want not pretend. It was hard work. I've written lots of other things. This was tough. This was hard work. Because mm. I suppose,
2: too, it's it's working out because I imagine that this book would be something I could see a lot of teachers picking up,
3: mm, mm.
2: you know. So it's, it's that cross between... Is it a teacher using it to pass on knowledge or is it a student using it for themselves as well? which puts No, down- I totally
3: hear you. Um, and I guess what you've kind of touched on is that it's written by a teacher and an actor. So it may be a hybrid beast. But the idea is that in a sense, yes, there's lots of practical exercises that are used in class that, in, that an actor flying solo probably wouldn't have the occasion to use. But equally, I did want to explain stuff clearly, simply but thoroughly so that, yes, I can imagine a teacher coming back to some of those long, windy explanations. But I thought, for an actor, I just think it's really important to know that it's there, that if you... I mean, I know it sounds bonkers, but people were talking objectives and intentions to me for years, and I actually never really knew what they were talking about. I know it sounds stupid, and it probably makes me sound pretty stupid.
2: When people mention beats, because I'm a musician or I, I did more
3: right.
2: acting, people would yeah. say to me, what about your beats? And I'd be like, am I meant mm. to be speaking in rhythm? It's like,
3: yeah.
2: what do they mean? Well,
3: well strangely enough, um, Cicely Berry talks about beats and being offbeat very much in a musical sense. So, you know, there's more confusing crossover for you.
2: So this book, you're um, self-published?
3: I did self-publish, yes. And was... Yes.
2: What was the thinking behind that,
3: or was there? Oh, any- boy, you- yeah, what was I thinking again? <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of thinking going on in the writing and production of this book. Well, basically, to be fair, no, I was turned down by every major publishing house in Australasia, so that was a motivator. But of course, I've never seen nicer um, rejection letters, I have to say. And their argument was that it was it wasn't paper plus. And it wasn't literary f- fiction. So it wasn't popular and it wasn't niche. It wasn't literature. It was, it was a niche thing. And um, while that was initially discouraging, I also got lots of good encouragement from them. So that, that was a kind of a double-edged sword. And then, of course, you know, you don't want to enter into self-publishing lightly because you have to learn how to do everything a publisher does, and you learn a lot of respect for publishers. You learn, the, you know, publicity, distribution, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot to it. And you have to do all the things they do, design it, lay it out, which my amazing wife did, thank God, and proofing and all that. But having said that, it, it's been epic because, first of all, you actually get to keep a half decent percentage of profit after all your costs. But secondly, it actually has proved to be quite popular. So we're going into a second print run and um, we really haven't had it out there for that long. As well as that, I'm able to, and weirdly how we find these benefits from COVID, right, but I'm able to now focus on New Zealand and getting it out to all the bookstores and all happening here. But, you know, I do have crazy plans to get it to Australia next and then to get it, you know, global and go and visit different places and around That's the world. Great. So, yeah.
2: I know this person that has these amazing contacts with drama teachers.
3: Oh, hell. I want, I want, a, I want, a, I want that person. Please deliver them to me, bound <laughs> and gang, with all their secrets uh, stuck to them on post-its.
2: It's only because, um, Peter, I'm the president of Drama New Zealand, the subject association for drama teachers of New Zealand.
3: Wow, and I could have been sucking up to you so much more in this interview if I'd known that. There should have been a disclaimer up front. I can make or break your book. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Peter, for um, our listeners, I mean, those that perhaps don't know your background or story that led you into a space to write this book, give us the, the two-minute overview of your career. No two minutes, pressure. Right. No pressure, no but your problem. time starts now. That's really
3: good. Start rounds. around. Didn't have the confidence to start acting. Got into it in my late 20s. Was historically lucky because there were no drama schools in Auckland and all the graduates from Toy Ficati stayed in Wellington. And so talentless... Chaps like me were able to leap into work doing Hercules and Xena and all that stuff. So got a training on the job, went a certain way with it, you know, got work in Australia and whatnot. Started up teaching as a side hustle and I used to drag my sorry ass to class and go, oh my God, I'm not acting, how depressing I have to teach. And then that slowly got turned around to become actually something that I was really, really enjoyed. That writing and acting are my three big things. So yeah, I, people will recognise me from stuff I've done, you know, over the years, you know, um, different TV and film in Australia, New Zealand, and some British stuff. So I'm reasonably really well known. But I love the variety. So for me, for instance, if I only did teaching, I would I would struggle with what am I bringing along here, Do you know? I will, what am I bringing that's fresh? And that, and I, I and I'd, I'd just be giving out and giving out and giving out. And you, I like see, actually see you nodding like Mandy. So I think you know what this is like. And then, you know, and and again, with acting, there's no control. So if I was just being pushed around and told what to do all day, I potentially could find that frustrating. Um, Although, you know, having said that, underemployment is, let's face it, a fact of life for most professional actors, including me. And then, of course, the writing, you know. I write and I write scripts and I've written a book, another book and other things, and, you know, that came damn in handy for writing this too.
2: I think it's really important for, um, as teachers for our students to see that we don't just talk the walk, that we walk
3: it. Yeah, I was really influenced by Mike Alfreds in his book, Different Every Night. He, t- he just did such a good service to our teachers because he said he got his course at Lambda down. Like he went to Lambda for three or four years and he had, was teaching, you know, stage one, whatever, theater technique. And then he got it down and it's like, great, that's great, I can sort of park that. And then he turned up next year and he rolled out this course and he said it was his worst year of teaching ever. So he was—he just stopped. And if it's if it's not green and growing, it's ripe and rotting. If you know, and 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 that's for me when I go and teach. I'll always prepare well, and then I will go and fly by the seat of my pants because I just don't, you know, I don't want it to be. This is what we teach here. This is what we taught last term, We're teaching it again, you know, I just would hate that. Because I think if you're risking something, the the actors catch up on that sense of risk. And that, that's exciting, you know. Um.
0: But if you're just
3: spouting all the stuff, there's supposed to be some irrefutable commandment then. Absolutely.
0: Um, tell us about the actors' lab. Give us a promotion
3: for that as well while you're here. Oh God, yes. Well happy to sell anything really. Well that's been evolved from me teaching now for about, Christ, 20 years or something, almost. And and again, it's really interesting because the, the book evolved. I mean, the same. the if anyone's, you know, I've said to people it's hard work, but if you're going to write a book, just start because you don't know how it's going to end. And it's a bit like with the teaching, it's really interesting how it's evolved over the time I've written the book and influenced by my writing of the book. So what I arrived at was I started to get in guest tutors because I started to think, well, Maybe Peter Feeney doesn't know absolutely everything about acting. Maybe I should get in someone else. So I get in someone like Joel Tobek, and he'd sit there and he'd completely contradict everything that I'd said and done the week before. (laughs) And I remember thinking, "This is great. This is what people need to hear. That there's no right way to do this. That there's lots of ways. This can account. That everyone's different. That your approach changes role to role. Yada yada yada." So then we started to get them in, basically to the point where you know I will come in you know, every third session maybe. And I just want to keep, I just want to watch people where they're going and watch their progress. And, and, and that continuity is important. That watchful eye, Michelle Hine does it at, at um, or has done it. She's now no longer running TAP, but that was her role as head of TAP, just to keep an eye on people's artistic growth. So I'll do that. But then we get in, you know, my God, we get in uh, Laurie Dungey, who bought Theta Sports New Zealand. She'll do improv. We get Sherry Moore, who's the voice coach coming in doing, you know, voice accent acting. She's a voice coach at TAP. We'll get Joel Tobeck, working actors. We'll get Rosie Liang, you know, um, uh, New Zealand director. We'll get, and these people are often coming off sets and coming straight into class, which is pretty exciting. So, so in other words, i to try and say, God, I can't do a short answer, can I? am so sorry. Is that the point of difference for me, first of all, I want to say in Auckland now, actors are sport for choice. There are a number of very good acting coaches and they you know, people are blessed, they can find the one that works for them. Much like you would with a therapist, you want to find the one that you like. But the point of difference with me is that we kind of offer in a centre boutique school where um, you get to do everything you work with, you get to work with different people and have different techniques thrown at you.
2: So are your programmes like one night a week? Is Because obviously TAP is a full-time one-year course. So how do, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. How do your programmes work?
3: Well, a lot of a lot of people, it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of people come to us and they end up going to TAP or they end up going to NIDA and sometimes they end up going to Lambda. But a lot of people are already been trained or, or they're training. We've got a couple of guys from Unitech in the class, So, which is great. And there's no sense of hierarchy or oh, someone's better than anyone else. and none of that. It's a level playing field of instinct. But but what we offer is we have these regular courses, but you stay in your groups because we've got enough actors now that once you start, you stick with the group. So you're not having to reinvent the wheel every term with doing whatever you're doing, even if it's stunt, stunt fighting for film. And, and we run terms in these different groups. And at the end of the term, we all say to the group, what do you want? Do you want more American accent? Do you want British accent? Do you want, do you like stunts? Or do you want improv? Or do you want more screen? And, and people basically say, oh, we want this, we want this, and find it out. And they, they, so they get to lead their own learning. But as well as that, because of COVID, we did online screen acting classes for the first time, and they just went so well. They went scarily well. So we now push the screen stuff. We do occasional little online courses because we find that is the best way to work for screen, um, and I won't go and bore you with the detail of how those work, but they're, they're way more effective than the class situation for screen work we've found, which is kind of interesting. So that's us, yeah. Well,
0: to wrap up, you get a, a moment of a shameless plug, we call it, and the oh chance to um, tell everyone listening where can they track you down either for your classes or to purchase your wonderful new book.
3: Oh, that's so nice. My book is being sold at a whole of the bookstores and I don't know who they are because it goes through a distributor called Wheelers and these orders arrive and I send the books off. But I know for a fact that it's available at university bookstores in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin. And it's also listed in a lot of bookstores like Time Out. Haven't knocked on Unity Store, but that's next. Um, the book's also available on our website, which is actorslab.co.nz or one word, and you can get it there. And that's the place to go to to find out more about what we do in the school as well and and, um, and then it's often a good idea from there to contact me or my producer Emma and just have a conversation about where you're at with your acting and we can kind of advise you, you know, what you can do either with us or someone else.
2: Fantastic. I'm gonna be like, go. I'm going to be getting a copy of the book.
3: Me too. I've already put oh, a few can, people Can I talk about something else um, It's for a second? I know that's supposed to be the last bit, but this is my other book. This is um, my first book, Blind, Bitter Happiness. I don't know if you can see it. But um, I've written that up now as a TV series, and that's being shopped around, and I'm going to be shameless about that because I want to put any kind of pressure I can on on multiple commissioners of television in this country to make that into a television series. So... Anyone that's listening, if you want to write to member parliament or you know um, stalk TVNZ, I'm at the pitching stage with that. That's my next my next project. i want to get that made as a TV series.
2: Oh well, I'm imagining that like our last time we were in lockdown, that there will be lots of people turning to the arts and yeah. back on Netflix, back on free theatre, etc. So
4: yeah.
2: it's a big reminder again of how important the arts are are within our society and our community so thank you so much Peter for what you are doing for the arts and helping bring forth the next generation of actors and teachers with your book and your classes and Mm. we we hope lockdown goes well for you and Stephen and I definitely look forward to catching up with you in person when we know what's happening post COVID-COVID
3: when we're back in reality, and that was a really good last word, but I have to say you're so right. Like it's such a downer time, but in entertainment, everyone's turning to it. So there's a weird upside here, which which means for us creative people, it's actually not completely a, a bad time. It's actually there's a lot of optimism and, and creativity and growth going out there, right? Definitely. Yeah. So nice to talk to you guys. so generous. giving me your time. Thank you.
2: Thank you. No worries.
5: Perhaps my greatest fear among my many fears vis-a-vis COVID-19 is that in the coming years there will be even more film and episodic TV about zombies. I think I'll write a zombie film set in Hollywood, in which the writers all get bitten by a zombie carrying a disease, which when you are infected, manifests in a desire to write zombie films. I know our job is to hold the mirror up to society, but I've been avoiding mirrors of late, cause it's got so goddamn ugly. Remember when Cersei Lannister was absurd hyperbole, but now she seems quite tame, and her naked walk of shame, being pelted with human poo, with is just what we, daily do, what we daily, daily do on Twitter.
4: Daily do on
5: Twitter. I know I sound bitter, but tell me, how do you make great art, when reality has jumped to shock? The 2020 barters no one stronger than an artist in a crisis. Come hell or high water, pandemic or disorder, we will stand up to give each other prizes. If there's no one to applaud me, who am I? That I cry, will well I just shrivel up and die. Die, die, die? If an actor dressed as a tree falls in a forest, <laughs> and the self tape doesn't upload, <laughs> does she even exist? Does she even exist? And if Matilda stays closed, am I still rich? I... Welcome you all. To the 2020 BAFTAs Tell me Who is the designer Of your tracks? Tell me, tell me Who designed your tracks? Let's seat. get through these awards And get back to, to our, our real, real jobs. jobs Signing virtuous petitions In our office let me, let me To all you clever nominees I hope you're very, very pleased I'm not bitter show wasn't nominated. It's got 8.6 on IMDb. I hope you had fun. Remember whether, whether you lost or won. won. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Cause the planet's all
0: And that was Tim Minchin's BAFTA song, which was recorded during COVID. And, you know, I appreciate the BAFTA awards are not something we celebrate here. But, man, there were some brilliant lines in that song about this year, I just thought was so appropriate this week. And wasn't Peter Feeney a great guy, Emma?
2: Definitely. And um, very interesting to talk to, even though he felt he talked too long. But I didn't think (laughs) he
0: No, it'd be nice to get him in the studio because he strikes me as someone who'll bounce off other guests really well too and just a a wealth of experience. I've since the interview gone on and um, checked out his website and things too and his classes, yeah, really impressed.
2: So you've been busy
0: reading some books over the last little while that get sent to us?
2: Yeah, so um, Lighthouse Publications sent us a series called The Staying at Home Series and it's... um, There are six of them that I've received here. And they were actually a a children's book series that was written in China as a response to the lockdown of COVID-19 in China at the time. And all of the books have something to do with how children can fight the virus or how they can see the virus around them, learning to identify dangers or how to face challenges with courage as they grow. Um, And they've been translated into English, and they've got some beautiful pictures. So there's a really cute one. The one that kind of stands out to me, especially at the moment, is called The Mask That Loved to Count. And it's a um, surgical mask. And the first page (laughs) says, a mask in the pharmacy started to count. It counted all the people and everything they'd brought it noticed that more and more people were coming to buy masks. 1, two, three, 10, 20, 30. The mask that loved to count couldn't count fast enough. It was just thinking, counting customers is like counting stars. And anyway, later on in the book, it goes on to explain that the mask discovered that it was because there was a virus. And it's basically teaching kids about what the masks do and the virus. Um, so that's a really cute one. And then that's
0: really cool and topical given we're being encouraged to wear them more and more now.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, they're really, really gorgeous little little books. Um the another one was called A Journey of Nine Thousand Millimeters. And that's about the difficult time for kids being confined in small spaces because they're stuck at home. And mm. so it's about you know being in one space with a table a coffee table a sofa and toys but they're separated from friends and family members so it's just a really lovely series of book um from the staying home series um and yeah they're available in all good bookstores
0: And probably can buy them online, given our current shopping. Um, That's fantastic, Emma. I love getting different things. So if you've got a book out there that you've written or about to publish or you've spotted something really different, flick us an email at kickarts1 at gmail.com. Now, speaking of books, Emma and I caught up with Chris Stewart, who has just written a book called For Reasons of Their Own. Good afternoon.
6: Hi, Emma. How is Sunny Nelson? Today it's absolutely beautiful. I must admit, I've taken the dogs for a walk along the river, and everyone's happy.
2: Oh, fantastic! And are there many down there wearing masks already, or that hasn't kind of
6: hit now? No, no, nobody's wearing masks. But I did have to go doing a couple of um, post a couple of um, letters, and I have noticed that um, you know distancing's in place, walls are back up. Um, yeah, level two's in the air.
2: Right. So, tell us a little
6: bit about your book. Well, my book is probably the result of about 20 years of humanitarian work and about half of those thinking about writing a book. And <laughs> um, it, it was originally, originally I wanted to do an, a, a sort of a semi-autobiography, but after um, after a while I didn't think I was interesting enough. So, I turned it into a crime, which is a genre I read a lot about, but the background is very much set in the humanitarian world and deals with a lot of issues of borders, border control, corruption, um, refugees, NGO workers, and um, it's a very good read.
0: And so you have a background in this humanitarian work, haven't you, as as both a a nurse, a consultant, and, and working mainly across Outback Australia, is that right?
6: No, no, well, I, I started off working in outback Australia, um, which um, as I've probably mentioned to you, has been the grounding for being able to work overseas and working in i 've been overseas as a humanitarian worker for nearly twenty years, but I still talk about the my grounding in Australia as being the hardest assignment i' ever had, Wow, but also very humbling in the fact that. If we can't get it right across the ditch in Australia with our Indigenous people, we're hardly likely to be able to tell anyone else. But most of my life, um, I went to the Middle East after the first Gulf War and um, somehow ended up working mainly in the Middle East for quite, quite some time.
0: Great. Wow. And what inspired you to suddenly then write this
6: story? In my first year as a humanitarian worker I got caught in a, um, a bombing attack in a town and um, it was a very very strange UN you know, staff and myself and NGOs were rounded up and we were waiting to find out if we had safe passage and we could hear the bombs were fired. Um, I was in this compound and somebody handed me a book and it was um, John Irving's, a widow for a year and reading that book was just amazing because it transported me out of the situation I was in into another dimension. And I realized then that the power of writing to transport an ordinary person from to dictionary was an amazing thing to do. And when I thought about writing a book, you know, I used to say to people, well, no one wants to know about the Middle East and they didn't in those days. It was way before anyone had any interest in some of the things I was seeing and doing. Um, So I turned it around into a crime and it just made it more interesting, um, I think.
0: And who do you think your book is going to appeal to the most?
6: Well, I know that my humanitarian work and friends have been desperate for a copy of it. It's a book actually that should appeal to a wide range of people who... Don't just want a who done it, but want a who done it that right. actually is makes them think when they turn the last page and leaves behind some really challenging questions about themselves and their lives and the way that you know the way that we are uh, as a global entity, how we manage our lives.
0: And, and what's next on the horizon for you, Chris? What what's the rest of 2020's strange old year that keeps on giving looking like for you?
6: Well, you know, you have to pivot on what's available and I, I wanted a bit of a rest after um, after the last book but because I've had so much feedback about please let there be a sequel, I've started a sequel and um, making use of the downtime now to um, to continue the story of Detective Inspector Robbie Gray and um, how she's going to cope now. She feels very broken after her last case. So I'm back writing
2: and tell us a little bit about, can you describe to us, where do you sit and do your writing?
6: I have my writing room. It is a beautiful wee space with an Aboriginal painting on the left-hand side. I've got bookshelves either, either side of the painting. I have a whiteboard with all my ideas and notes and timelines on for the next book I'm writing. I have a massive big rubber plant that's leaning over towards me. And I have a room full of my artefacts from travelling, painting bits and pieces, giraffes. Um, I've got a really early painting from Fatufeu, um, who's a well-known New Zealand artist. And generally, it's my We Safe Haven, and I lock the world out because it's very, very difficult to write in Nelson, but too sparkly and nice. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I would want to be down on the beach or walking along the river, definitely.
6: I have to close the curtains and pretend I'm somewhere else. But I, but I have to, do, I have to be like that because um, I need to be disciplined, and I write in scenes. So it's great for me to write a scene and then think I need to go for a walk now. And as I'm walking along the beach, something will click or not click. Um, it's very helpful.
2: Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've definitely got. I mean, you're in one of the most magnificent places, in my opinion, in New Zealand, anyway. And then you've got your own special space. So, what better inspiration to be writing in?
6: Well, you know, I was away 25 years out of New Zealand, and when I decided to come home, it was Nelson. Mm. And uh, I couldn't have made a better choice. I oh, know, that's fantastic.
0: Well, Chris, we wish you all the best success with this book for reasons of their own is the title. And I'm sure it's available where all good bookstores, book
4: (laughs) shops
0: are. I could totally muck that line up, didn't I? Um, But we wish you all the success and and look forward to seeing what the sequel may look like. And we'll be passing a copy on to our reviewer who's um, busy using COVID as a time to catch up with some reading.
6: Thank you very much, Stephen and Emma, and have a lovely day. Thanks so yeah. much.
2: See you later, Chris.
6: Thank bye. you. Bye
4: bye. And I am. T-
0: that was, and I am telling you I'm not going, uniquely sung by the Arka Pop Kids Group. I was really impressed with their quality, Emma.
2: Yeah, it was fantastic. It was very unexpected.
0: Absolutely.
2: And joining us now in the studio is performer Blake Took. Hi, Blake. Hello. How are you?
7: I'm good, thank you. Good. And yourself?
2: I'm good. Um, Nothing like being back on Zoom again and not in the studio, but we're really lucky, I suppose, that we've got technology and we can reach out.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: So tell us, Blake, where do you fit into – this is my famous question – where do you fit into the arts landscape in New Zealand?
7: Um, Well, it it first started off with me just dancing at a local studio um, and then – I saw more got into the singing and acting through school and uh, and now my uh, profession is musical theater and, I, and that's what I love doing.
2: So what's different in your opinion between being a dancer and being in music theater? Obviously the obvious, you've got to sing. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what is it for you? Why has the
7: press come about, do you think? I I think it's just a necessity that everybody needs to have uh, to be a working performer these days. Like, you have to be as versatile as possible and to be able to uh, offer those wide range of set of skills and being able to say, yes, I can dance, yes, I can sing and act. I'm a triple threat and um, I can... Uh, do whatever you need um, me to do as
2: asked here. Fantastic. So pre-COVID the first time around, you had just finished an international tour. Tell us a little bit about that.
7: Uh, Yep. So uh, last year I uh, started the international tour with West Side Story. Uh, That was an Australian production put on by Opera Australia and GWB Productions. Um, We did a four-week rehearsal period in Sydney, which started February, March. Um, And then in April, we started, uh, did our opening in Melbourne. Um, And then after that, had a little bit of a break and then uh, went over to Wellington, then Europe, over to Germany. Um, And that was pretty awesome. And then I came back to Australia, to Sydney, the Sydney Opera House to perform there. And then after that, it was Canberra and Perth, and that was December.
2: Fantastic. And had you been to Europe before?
7: (laughs) I hadn't, no. That was the first time.
2: So that must be pretty cool to be doing something you absolutely love, getting paid to do it, and being in a completely new country
7: yeah it, it was an incredible experience. Um, uh, the The funny thing the the one main thing that I take back from it is actually the audiences, the audience reaction because obviously it's international. it's a completely new um language. Um, and so uh, whilst you're performing, you actually have subtitles um, on either side or at the top of the stage of the theater. And in and, and Germany, the audience would be absolutely dead silent with all the laughing cues, with um, everything throughout the entire show. But then at the end of the show with the bows and stuff, you would have a standing ovation with a eight-minute to ten-minute applause, even when the curtain's down. It's like the, the best uh, appreciation feeling
3: ever.
2: It's fantastic. Mm. That sounds so good. So yeah. thinking about the journey, obviously you're back now in New Zealand for a little while. So you had finished in December in Perth and that was where mm-hmm. you were going to settle for a while, wasn't it?
7: Yes. Yeah. Um, so so I finished there and then uh, I decided to teach in Perth um, at a studio there for the first half of the year. And then came back just before the first lockdown, uh, which ended up being a good decision, of course. Um, and and yeah, now I've just been uh, go 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 working over here in Auckland.
2: And what has you coming back? Because you went to Brent Street, was it in two thousand and seventeen? Seventeen, right? There you go. So you've been gone for three years. Um, does yeah. it? feel like now there's more work in New Zealand or is it just that before you went away maybe you weren't as aware of what was available to you?
7: I I very much, yeah, I I do think I wasn't aware of the availability Um, plus like when I was studying over in Brent Street you do obviously become one with the industry over there and you have connections and stuff like this and, and that's the main way of getting obviously work. And I guess I just didn't have as as well of a um, of a connection with industry over in in Auckland. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean at the end yeah. of the day too, you literally left school and went to Brent Street, right? So so you were yeah. only eighteen when you went away. So yeah teenagers probably don't know what is actually out there in the world.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So once you finished Brent Street, that was at the end of that year, um, mm. what did you do prior between Brent Street and West Side Story? Obviously you worked a lot on your voice.
7: Yep. Yep. Um, so it's, it's just the simple things obviously keep on going to classes, dancing, singing and acting. The um, just keep on training and training because you can never, um, get to the peak or, or learn enough. Um, but like work wise and logistics wise, um, it was very hard. I actually went, uh, through between, uh, four different jobs that, that year and, and leaving because of, um, many different reasons. But, um, but it was it was tough making a living over in Sydney, definitely. I can say that um, but uh, industry wise I was lucky enough to um, to work with uh, as a backup singer for the Voice Australia, which was awesome, uh, so much fun and because obviously you get to meet all the contestants and obviously the judges who are who were um, delta Goodrum, seal. Uh, Boy George, Joe Jonas, uh, Kelly Rowland, yeah, wow. so this is awesome.
2: Talk about them in your back pocket.
7: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> that's fantastic. And so, coming back to New Zealand, what have you been doing since you've been home?
7: Uh, we just finished uh, the fundraising performance uh, blast off. That was that was a lot of fun. I um, assisted choreographing with um, Hamish which was which was uh, awesome to work with him after so long um, And
2: Hamish, Hamish choreographed you in 2017, 16, in 16 2016, yeah. in 2016 in NYTC's High School Musical so yeah, four years later.
7: Yeah, yeah and funnily enough um, I actually uh, remembered that that performance at blast off so i also sung uh, corner of the sky at blast off and um that was the first time i had performed in new zealand since high school musical 1 and 2 so that was 4 years ago It was pretty it was pretty cool
2: it's um, really cool and i have to say this is my i'll put my proud teacher hat on and say yeah. I was absolutely thrilled sitting there listening to you. Um, Blake, for the listeners that don't know, Blake used to be a drama student at St. Kentigan College, and I was his teacher there. And Mm -hmm. his first, the musical experience that actually allowed Hamish to see him was um, part of Junior Theatre New Zealand and then he went on to High School Musical before going to Brent Street. So I definitely have a very proud teacher hat with what Blake is doing with his Pathways.
7: Oh, that's awesome.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit more about what you've got planned going forward then.
7: Uh, going forward, I'm going to be involved with uh the Amici Trust, uh, GMT, um, Mary Poppins at the Civic. Uh, so I'm very excited with that. Um, and obviously, to to um, I'm more excited to work with all the people in it because obviously I know or have heard of people from here and there and I'm just really excited to um, meet them and get to know them and work with them. Um, and... Hey,
2: are you teaching any dance classes are we going to run some workshops so people can experience the Blake Took method
7: I I have actually been uh doing a few dance classes here and there uh for studios and I and I did get told uh not long ago that oh you should put a dance class on you should put a workshop on and so I definitely think that I am and so listen up for that (laughs)
2: <laughs> that sounds good. So, if people want to find out more about Blake Took, let us know your shameless plug now. Where where can people follow you?
7: Uh, you can follow me uh, mainly with my activity on Instagram. Uh, that's where I post most of everything up, and that's just uh, Blake, B L A K E, and Took T U K E. That's where most of the action happens. Um, other than that, Facebook, um, and that's about it.
2: And I've got to ask, because there may be listeners wondering, is there a connection between the famous last names of other people that are pretty well known in New Zealand with that last name?
7: Yes, uh, it's my cousin Blair Tuke. Funnily enough, it's very close Blair Chuk and Blake Chuk. Um So Blair Chuk is the uh, 49er Olympic. Uh, gold medalist and silver medalist with London and um and also the America's Cup winner um, and also just launched his new um, <coughs> campaign um, uh, boat with um, Peter, which is awesome, a new business. It's That's very exciting.
2: Well, that just shows, you know, the motivation in the, in the Turk family of <laughs> um, people with a passion going where they want to go
4: yeah
7: yeah definitely. And that's where I did obviously get a lot of my uh inspiration from uh, is uh, uh that side of the cousins um because they're so active and always doing things here and there and um and as a as the youngest one, the youngest cousin, you're always looking up to them so um now that that is definitely where where I did uh get my drive and uh go for what you want to do and passion.
2: fantastic well thank you so much for coming on and helping me out at the last minute i really appreciate it and i look forward to following your journey and Stephen and i would love to have you on in person maybe Mm -hmm. when you've got your next project on you can come on in person and be a part of our studio
7: yeah of course no worries and thank you so much for today as well
2: no worries at all thanks blake
8: girl named Maria, and suddenly that name will never be the same to me. Maria, I just kissed a girl named Maria.
2: And that, of course, was Maria from West Side Story sung by New Zealand's own Solomeo, who sadly had to cancel their concert this week due to being in level three at the moment. But hopefully we'll see that concert rescheduled shortly. Now, we decided that we've had Patrick, our intern, with us for the last four weeks in studio. And we thought we might take this time to catch up with him to find out a little bit more about Patrick, but also find out what it means to be an intern with KickArt. So, hey, Patrick.
5: Hi.
2: (laughs) So, um, Patrick, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about why you reached out to become an intern.
9: Well, I was... um I was with my singing teacher, Patrick Kelly, and we were sitting there going, what will be the plan for the next half of the year once we left lockdown? And he said, mm-hmm. why don't you take an interest, uh, why don't you have a look at some radio stuff? I think you'd be really good on there. Um, contact Emma, get onto Kick Art and just have a, like, a play around with and see if you'll enjoy the atmosphere, the environment, the job, Like, if you, that would be something you're into. So then I messaged Emma out on a limb, not <laughs> expecting much, and here I am.
2: <laughs> Fantastic. So, and what
0: part have you enjoyed the most so far?
9: Oh, I really enjoyed last week actually, like, sitting there and interviewing and being part of the show. I, I thought it was so much fun, you know, being on the air and it's such a weird feeling hearing your voice later on on the podcast. And,
0: and you were like, really uh, nervous. You were so nervous at the start, but you loosened up as it went on, and by the end, you had Emma's seat well and truly sitting in it. Well,
9: I think it was the last minute, oh, by the way, you're,
0: you're Emma tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. um, yes. Um, yeah, I didn't tell him that till the last second, Emma. Right. <laughs>
2: Right, and he hasn't got the pink hair to rock it, so.
0: Oh, I should have, yeah, I would have
9: had, if I had more time to dye my hair, I would have.
2: (laughs) So um, what do you think has been a takeaway for you in the last four weeks? What's something that you think you'll take with you forward from this point?
9: Just, like, commitment, you know? Like, everything takes so much work and effort. And it's something that in my high school years, I was always very much just like, oh, like, you know, I'll wing it. But coming into this, balancing this on top of work and a bunch of other things, like you need to put 100% into everything. That's something I learned from you guys because you just do so much for the theatre community and for your job and you're still able to bring 100% to all of it. And that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes we do think things just happen. We'll listen or watch something and go, oh, that was awesome, but don't actually realise, yeah, every week steps have to take place before something can just happen.
9: Mm. Cause, a lot of organisation.
2: Because prior to this, how tell us a little bit about your arts journey.
9: Well, I used to go to Rosmoney College, and I had been doing choir for about... 10 or about seven years during that and then I decided in year 12 so 2018 that I'd make a I did community theater as well but I decided that I'd make a move to TACA and start taking my performing arts a bit more seriously so that's when I moved to Tacker, got opportunities being able to do more shows and join like the top cop the top choirs and then um I started stage managing as well because I missed out on being the in this class production in 2018. So I stage managed it and then that opened up to stage managing or the other tacker shows like Little Mermaid last year, but then still being able to, to perform, which was, um, which was more outside of school. I did APA in 2019 and was in Beauty and the Beast and Adam's Family. And then this year I decided to take a gap year and being able to do stuff like this. So working through the day to fund my love for theatre and do, like, internships and learn more on the job rather than being stuck at a university.
0: What's your day job?
9: I am a cook in a kitchen in Glenfield Mall. I
2: was going to say, you used a few acronyms in there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Taka, that's Takapuna Grammar School, which is where for part, for Year 12 and 13. And APA is the Auckland Performing Arts Academy.
0: Yes, yes. And the chef skills, we haven't tested because Patrick hasn't brought us dinner one single Sunday yet.
9: <laughs> Maybe once we get out of lockdown.
2: <laughs> Patrick has been coming straight from Sunday rehearsals to, to us, haven't you, Patrick?
9: Yes, I am currently playing Mr McQueen in town at Centre Stage. So... I go from there home for about an hour to rest up and then straight to the radio station.
0: And what's your long-term goals? Where do you see yourself in, in five or 10 years? What's, where's the passion heading?
9: Well, it's still something I'm thinking about, but I, after this year, I certainly know it's not in a kitchen, but on stage or even off stage, working in stage management. Just any involvement in the arts for me, really whether that's on the radio, on a TV show, on the stage, yeah.
2: And if someone was to say to you, and I, you may not be able to know the answer to this yet, but if someone was to say to you on the job training or official training through an academy or a school, at the moment, what do you think?
9: On the job, I love it so much. I've never been someone to sit down, If anyone's met me in person, I'm not one to sit down still for an hour and just listen and write notes. I love being in there, you know, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes and just being so vulnerable because that's how you learn the best.
2: So what do you hope to get from your next? You've still meant to have another three or four weeks with us, um, which may be pushed out given that we're going into potential lockdown um further than level three so tell us though what do you hope to get f- over the next few weeks from kick
9: um i i just really want to be able to take what i've learned so far and just really put it into practice like you know last week i got the chance to be like be a co-host but then i ov- obviously want to learn how to do the board and basically, by the end of the eight weeks, you know, have the capability of, like, completely running a radio station.
4: Yeah.
0: Of course, there's the bit you miss there, which is where part of your role is to reach out to Broadway and West End stars to make them available for a Zoom interview while we're in lockdown. So, good luck with that challenge. <laughs> I'll
9: give my um, I'll, I'll give my friend Jonathan Groff a call and see if he can come on. Brilliant. Absolutely.
2: I was going to say as well, you know, given that hopefully, fingers crossed, things go well, there is that night where it will be you and me and no Stephen, and you will be operating the board.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that my show be guys It's all guy.
2: yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's fantastic. So, you know, Kick I suppose it's our shameless plug chance, Stephen. Be- mm. Whilst we're a radio station, um, we also have our social media platform. And we have the amazing NE Benzinelli currently almost about to launch our new website. And we really hope that going forward, we become more of a hub for information, for sharing. Um, So having interns to help develop, it's that whole part of making the arts invisible, um, invisible, making the arts Visible.
0: Visible. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, Patrick, you're a pleasure to have around the studio. So, you know, if we can help people on their path and on their journey, I'm sure both Emma and I, as young people, had lots of people helping us along the way that you never forget. So, um, we're pleased that you can be part of this journey as well.
9: Thank you so much.
1: beautiful wife and isn't it ironic don't you think a little too ironic and yeah I really do think
2: And that was of course ironic by Alanis Morissette. Not only are we living in a bit of an ironic time, but you may remember that that song actually opened the movie The Internship. You might remember it this way.
4: Old
8: man turned 98, he won the lottery died the next day. What the shit is this? Why is this on the get psyched mix? Because I gotta throw you a curveball every now and then you get bored
3: and then the mix doesn't have its intended effect. No
8: I want to get revved up and this song's not doing it. Oh really? I defy you to crush this horse and not get psyched.
3: Not gonna happen. Don't you think?
2: Now I'm sure you can all imagine our intern Patrick on his way to work getting himself psyched up and crushed for kick arts. So, um, we've just heard from our intern Patrick. Thanks. It's been, like Stephen said, it's been great having him in the studio with us over the last couple of weeks. And now we're joined by Dave Sparks from Pixel. How are you, Dave?
10: Yeah, good. Thank you.
2: Fantastic. Now, some of you may remember that a couple of weeks ago, we had Hayden T. come on the show, and he was talking about a show he was touring through New Zealand with called the Show Must Go on and Dave is one of the producers. So tell us a little bit about the show Must Go on
10: Yeah so uh, myself uh, and Glenn Rusk from Bounce NZ uh, both had a had a chat uh, during lockdown with looking at the rest of the year's bookings looking being particularly down um, to say the least and decided that the best way forward might be to try and do something ourselves. If, if no one was giving us a call to put something on, um, maybe we should uh, try and get something going ourselves. So, uh, yeah, here we are. We got we got together and put a few feelers out for a bunch of people um, to see who was interested in, and um, got some pretty fantastic cast on board. Obviously, Hayden, as you know. Um, I think Akina, you had a few months back as well um so and there's a few other fantastic names in there with a lot of skill and a lot of talent
2: so what's it like to put on a different hat from being the AV and okay. to being a producer
10: <laughs> yeah it's been challenging that's for sure there's been uh, there's been a few sleepless nights or um <laughs> stressful phone calls and stuff uh yeah no it's, it's definitely given me a new respect from um uh, you know, for, for that role and then what uh, promoters go through day to day. There's a lot of lot of organisation, especially we're doing you know 23 stops around the country, so massive amounts of logistics to deal through uh, in terms of venues and ticketing agents and all those sorts of you know accommodation, whole whole nine yards. Um, so, yeah, definitely giving me a lot of respect for those people. But, um, not not to mention a, a, a
0: wee COVID-19 pause in the middle of all your best planning ever.
10: Ah, uh, indeed, yeah, and that's always been a, a, a concern in the back of the mind. Um, but, um, you know, basically with the thought was we can't just live our lives sort of waiting to see what's going to happen with that. We've just got to press on and, um, and go for it. So here and we are.
2: You haven't had any bad experiences with Ticket Direct, I hope, running away with money? Uh,
10: yeah, there's, there's, we haven't, no, but there's definitely been a bit of concern around some of that and we've definitely got caught up in the back end of that. Um, but no, personally, no, we haven't, which is which is great. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not nice for those people involved, that's for sure, um, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah, so 23 locations. How did you decide where they would be? <laughs> uh,
10: basically, just worked on a map in New Zealand and looked around all the venues that we knew we could kind of fit in and then just set a cutoff point for a sort of quantity of, of, of seats that we could get uh, there was a few that snuck in just because we either have relationships a lot of the a lot of uh, the places that we're visiting we've we have relationships already with the existing uh, local musical theater societies and stuff and so you know a big part of it was sort of um, trying to give back and, and trying to get some help from them in terms of um, their, you know, volunteers and stuff getting in the theatre, helping us set up and, and pack down um, and, and uh, just some marketing and drawing. And, you know, people are missing missing going out. So we know a lot of them have cancelled their own or the majority have cancelled their own shows for the year. So we thought, well, there's a good opportunity for people to Thanks see some my pretty, my pretty, my pretty my awesome team. talent that wouldn't normally get to see. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So I was down in Meta Matter a
0: couple of weeks ago, and just that community coming out for the night was just such a buzz. It was even more so than going to a show here in Auckland. It just had that real cool feeling of everyone came out to support, uh, yeah. and and that's what you're going to experience.
10: That's right. Yeah. No. It's um. I think I think it's what people need at the moment too. You know, just so much going on and, and so much uh, concern and worry about the future. You just kind of. Nice to switch off for a couple of hours and just mm. and enjoy, you know.
2: So tell us a little bit about how you got into theatre.
10: I started off at probably high school days, I think it was, yeah. Um, sort of got into the technical side of things, uh, doing school shows and, and, and you know, a uh, lot of music was sort of stuff at school, um, doing video recording, sound, um, lighting the whole nine yards, and then yeah, it was just a natural progression into the into the industry and into the theatre, and just found I was very passionate about it, and and um, yeah, never looked back since sort of thing. But, yeah, I just worked my way through through doing you know lighting and and, and into the visual side of things with um, you know big LED screens and all that sort of stuff, and found a nice. I guess a niche with a a new technology that was sort of growing in the industry a bit more. Um, And yeah, here we go.
2: So, was it um, more on the job training rather than going to university types, you know?
10: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, it it was, there wasn't really a lot on offer um, at that point in time in terms of training. So, it was literally finding my way as it went. And it's one of those jobs where you definitely learn. There's a lot of uh, variety to the skill set, I guess. So um, you pick up things as you go along and you branch into different areas that take your fancy and that sort of thing. There's no sort of set course, I guess, which is just kind of great, you know.
2: So if you had to give advice to someone wanting to get into the technical side of theatre, if you could give them a piece of advice, what would it be? Don't do it?
10: (laughs) Uh, Could be a dangerous this week. Year, to ask this, that question. Yeah, this year I'd say don't do it. Run the mile. No, it's great. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think the biggest thing is it's a lifestyle, not a. Uh, it's not a job. Um, you have to be. You have to be prepared to put in the hours. You have to be prepared to. Um, to sacrifice, you know, lots of things, and I definitely know things like. You know, I still try and play team sport, uh, but things like that are, is always, difficult because you're not sure whether you're going to be working that next week or whether you can make your game or things like that. You know, uh, so so it's definitely a, a lifestyle choice. But if you're passionate about something, then you just, you know, you just do it. It's not a job. It's um, it's something you love. You love the, the creative side and the you know the results on the night. Just bringing everything together, bringing a whole. A group of people from all different sort of walks of life and and different talents and skills, and it's just that amazing feeling you get afterwards where you go, hey, that was worth it.
2: (laughs) Awesome. So if we give you two minutes for a shameless plug for the show must go on, how can we find out more about it? Where can our listeners go?
0: And no pressure, but Hayden did do the perfect reenactment of the Kiwi Burger ad by naming every single city. No pressure, no pressure. (laughs)
10: <laughs> i'm not gonna go there <laughs> um <laughs> the best the best the best way to find it is uh www.theshows.co.nz uh there's uh there's a good gallery page we we shot a promo thing with all the cast a few a few, we, oh, a few m- months back now um and so there's some there's some good footage and some looks and some indication i guess of of uh, some of what the show is going to look like um and a bunch of information about the cast there and there's all the, the city locations from you know, literally as high up as oh, which, which is highest, Fungareo or Kirikiri, I forget up that way <laughs> <laughs> and right down to Invercargill sort of thing so there's, there's a lot of stops on the way um, and yeah, it's going to be, it's gonna be a, a fun trip, that's for sure uh, so yeah that's no, that's a that's the best place to to have a hunt there 's a lot of uh, video bits and pieces and stuff in there we 're releasing some some interviews with the cast from that promo stuff over the next few weeks so there 's some there 's some little uh little snippets of of interest from uh, you'll find out about the cast that I'm sure you didn't know that will be rather entertaining.
2: That's mm-hmm. cool. Well, And we'll, of course, be sharing those posts and things over to Kick Arts like we have been. So thanks for stopping Thank by, Dave. We really appreciate it. And look forward to hearing more about The Show Must Go On, once shows must go on. When you're on tour, maybe we can call in on a Sunday night and hear where you are.
10: Yeah, no, that sounds great. Thanks very much for having me.
2: No worries at all. So need permission
4: Made my decision To test my limits Cause it's my business God has my witness Start what I finish yeah. Don't need no hold up Take yeah. control of this kind of moment I'm locked and loaded Completely focused My mind is open Oh, that you got Skin to skin
2: And that was the incredible Akina singing Dangerous Woman for her blind audition for The Voice Australia. She is so amazing. So make sure you get along to hear more from her at The Shows Must Go On. Check out the details for that as Dave let us know at www.theshows.co.nz. Touring through New Zealand soon.
0: That was great, Emma. Dave's a really nice guy.
2: Yeah, thanks Dave for jumping on and a huge thanks to all of our guests who came on at such short notice as we did what much for the country is doing and pivoted pretty quickly.
0: (laughs) Absolutely and of course by the time this goes to air, everyone listening will know what the plan is for this week but when we're recording this, we don't know. So we'll catch you next Sunday either in person or back here um, pre-recorded but it's great to be Still able to bring it out. And thanks to our friends at Planet FM for getting this up on time.
2: Definitely. So remember, if you've got something happening in the arts, email us at kickarts1 at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Absolutely, and we're going to go out tonight with the song "Come What May" from the staged version of Moulin Rouge, sung by Aaron Tevitt. And we hope you all have a great week. And remember, wherever you might be at home or out and about, to always keep some. Kick some. <laughs> Why else live?
8: Never knew I could feel like this Like I've never seen the sky before Want to vanish inside your kiss Every day I love you more and more Listen to my heart Can you hear it sing Telling me to give you everything Seasons may change Winter to spring But I love you Until the end